Part five of the Fates of the Princes of Dovard by Kenneth Morris. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The story of Puel and Rhiannon of the Book of the Three Trials, the first branch of it called The Coming of Rhiannon Remferch Hevaith. Two, the first of the wedding feasts at the court of Hefaith and the coming of Guaulab Clud. There was an apple tree covered with bloom in the courtyard of the palace at Arber. One morning, when the king looked out, it was as if it were ensouled with three shining fountains of beauty and inspiration. Every leaf and bloom and young shoot was a tremble with delight of the beauty that was being born in their midst. Beyond that, the whole valley of Arberth was filled with delicate and melodious song. By reason of that, he knew that the three that were in the tree would be none other than Adan Lanach, Adan Lonach, and Adan Fuinach, the three birds of Rhiannon, the three singers of peace, and rose up and called the hundred men of his Tyli, and rode out with them, following the birds. But what secret ways they may have journeyed is not known. They left Dovard, and they left the island of the mighty. Dry-shod and without ships they passed. At the end of three days they came to the court of Hevaith Hen in the kingdom of the immortals. That was a year and a day after the parting of Puil from Rhiannon on the roadside in Dovard, when he made the promise to her that he would come. Never had one of them seen the equal of the palace of Hevaith, either for loftiness or for beauty, or for immense impregnable strength. There were seven wide stone-paved ramparts. On the smallest of them, seven hosts equal in size to the complete hosting of the men of the island of the mighty might have waged wild free indiscriminate warfare with ground for chariots and room for archery and no discomfort or crowding on each of the ramparts was encamped a company of seven score and seven giants the least of them wore the talk and breastplate of a king and was of such strength that he would have made little of breaking the bole of a well-grown oak-tree across his knees. There were seven immense gates of granite, and seven watchdogs guarding them. Seven lean, eager wolves would easily have been vanquished in the conflict by even the feeblest and puniest of those dogs. Between each of the gates there were seven flights of seven score stairs, the smallest step of them high-treading for a giant on the seven towers, and the least of them as high as the crag of Gwen Abui. In the ancient days were seven spears raised, with seven sun-bright beautiful banners of silk and linen, adorned with dragons of supreme beauty. Beautiful was the place, truly, and if beautiful, strong, and if strong, kindly and hospitable. The dogs greeted the Demesians with delight, leaping and fawning the stairs were endowed with such magic by hevaith that they seemed no more than level ground beneath their feet as for the giant companies they were eager for nothing at that time but the welcoming of guests the granite stairways broke out into soft grass and blossom beneath their feet everywhere there was harping and vocal song and delightful mirth and courteous greeting as they came into the hall if it had been proud and fair-seeming without, much better was it within. On the walls were the armour of gods and giants, and hangings of flame-coloured satin and taffeta, 
and the hangings adorned with the exploits of Hugh Gadarn and the noblest stories from of old. Covering the flagstones of the floor were skins of the bear, the wolf, the lion, and the beaver. The rafters afar in the roof were carven in the forms of splendid dragons. As they came into the hall, they all marvelled at the beauty and dignity of Rhiannon, and at the lofty bearing of her and her people, and at the kindness and courtesy of the welcome they had from them. Hephaith Hen himself rose from his throne to greet them. It was apparent to them that not even the crowned king of the island of the mighty in the pride of his might, and he breaking battle in the east or the west of the world, or with the princes of Greece and Spain and Asia, having greeting and welcome and courtesy and honour from him at feast-time, would be the equal of Hephaith Hen, or nearly the equal of him, either for beauty or for kindliness of aspect, or for pride and glory of bearing. With courtesy and proud friendliness, they returned his greeting, and it seemed to the Demesians that they would never desire better companionship than that of the gods, and it seemed to the gods that it would be hard to come on guests so free and high-minded and courteous as the Demesians. That night they feasted there, at the wedding feast Rhiannon had prepared for Puil Pen Annun and for herself. Regal were the stories that were told. Regal and magnificent were the songs sung. On the dais at the head of the hall sat Hevaith Hen himself, and with him Puil and Rhiannon. According to the custom and precedent of the court, even Hevaith had less honour there than Puil had. It was as if Puil, and not he, were the sovereign ruler of these dominions. Below those three were thirteen long, beautiful, richly furnished, well-adorned tables, for the hundred that there were of the Demesians, and for a hundred bards, and a hundred princes, and three hundred high-born, golden-chained, well-speaking ladies of the court. The smallest and poorest of the plates and drinking-vessels were of pearl and costly enamel. Delicate, well-cooked, and nourishing was the worst of the food. While they were feasting, the birds of Rhiannon, sang through the hall. It came into the minds of the Demesians that if it had been for nothing but the hearing of those birds, that feast would have been better and more desirable to them than any pleasure they had known during their lives. Towards midnight they heard a great shouting of the giants from the ramparts, and a great barking of the dogs from the gates, and the shouting and barking died away into a silence unequalled before in the world, so far as was known. "'It would be well to be cautious,' said Rhiannon. "'Fear of some danger has come upon me.' "'Fear it not,' said Poole. "'There are the Demesians.' "'Someone will have overcome the giants and the watchdogs,' said she. "'That would be well,' said Poole. "'Conflict has been the only pleasure that has been lacking to us.' While they were talking that way, the gleam and beauty flared up in the jewel-work, till the whole hall was one blaze of light. Not a dragon carven on the rafters, but seemed to quiver into life and motion. The songs of Adan Lanach and Adan Lonach and Adan Fuinach rose and quickened and billowed forth, until the air reeled and trembled for excess of glory and sweetness. The cause of it was the door opening, and the coming in of a tall, handsome man. With every step of him forward towards the dais, the light and the music were multiplied. "'Soul, soul,' whispered Rhiannon, "'here indeed is the peril.' "'I see nothing of it,' said Poole. 
grants nothing that he may ask of you said she but Pool was utterly caught up in the delight of the glory and song till the whole life of him danced and exulted beyond that he never had been one to take thought for caution when it came to the practice of generosity soul soul he made answer unprincely would it be to refuse his requests it will be the falling of all loss and sorrow said she but he was beyond heeding her barely had she said it when the man was before the throne and praying pool to grant what he might be asking tall he was and more beautiful than the fairies and radiant with strange untroubled light but his limbs were slender and his eyes bright with exultant dreaming and he had not the aspect of the heroic kings of the island of the mighty with him lightly the chieftain answered him whatever you may ask i will grant it to you said he name you whatsoever you will and you shall come by it unfitting and discourteous would be refusing this night and the last word of that was not out from between his teeth before the sorrow of the world descended upon him so that even the darkest moment he had ever known seemed to him to have been bright and joyful in comparison with this the light waned in the hall and the songs of adenlanach and her sisters ended strangely or if they did not end they became nothing to him but harshness and bitter sound so far as he could see there was no hue nor beauty left in the plates of pearl and amethyst nor in the drinking-horns of polished diamond the best of them might have been of ungarnished lead the flowers of adornment had the appearance of withering the food of wasting away as for the demesians and the people of the court it was clear to him that they had all fallen to remembering whatever sorrows they might formerly have known in silence and sorrow they watched him i am guaul the son of clud said the man prince of the land of timeless beauty the request that i make of you is that you shall forego the princess slowly pool answered him marvellous is the request said he marvellous and terrible it is truly for what reason is it made of me not out of hatred for thee but out of consideration for her have i made it warlike and kingly i know are all the princes of the cymri princely is the dignity without bounds the hospitality of the island of britain yet it would be unfitting for the princess to take queenhood there sorrow would come of it were she wedded to any one subject to mortality whether sorrow would come or joy it was there that it was my will to reign said rhiannon it was well known to me what would come soul said Gwaul, it was my will that you should be saved from sorrow then he turned to pool again not yet is the whole request spoken he said speak you said pool if it please you soul said Gwaul, there is this for you to learn concerning the immortal kindred one race of them have their troubling when any evil happens to men they made choice of old to preside over the destinies of the world of that race are the clan of hugh gadarn the gods of the cymri and the children of dana in alban and ireland and there is another race to whom it would be unknown if your mountains crumbled and your world were burned and your stars withered in the sky of these are the children of clud i and my people and there is a third tribe that has kinship with both races the people of hevide head 
and the Lady Rhiannon among them. Though she never left this fortress, she would have no peace here, and that by reason of the wars and sorrows and exultations of the men of the island of the mighty. Much less would she have peace if she went hence and took Queenhood with you. Therefore my request is that you shall give the princess to me, that I may bring her beyond the shaking of her peace. According to the promise that was given it must be, said Poole. On her it was binding, as well as on me. Woe is me for the Brython! Never at any time have I desired unshaken peace, said Rhiannon. Peace shall I find where there is war, joy only where there is sorrow. On me indeed is the promise binding, yet in the island of the mighty it is my desire to be. The chieftain gave you to me, said Gwaul. Neither with you nor with me was the making of this fate. Neither with you nor with me will be the breaking of it. So great is my longing for the island of the mighty, said Rhiannon, that I will desire to know this from you, if there is any knowing it. If there is breaking the fate, how will it be broken? I will tell you gladly, said Gwaul. There would need to be an obtaining power over me, and a putting compulsion upon me and all that by this chieftain, and it would need my going of my own will into the place where he might put the compulsion. But there will be no doing it, said he. It has been foretold of me that I shall never fall into the power of any god, much less shall I get my compulsion from a mortal. What will be will be, said she. Not many would be better at breaking fates than Pool Penanon. He puts compulsion on the princes of the underworld." of my own will i shall not suffer it and therefore i shall save you from the island of the mighty whether there is a life or death there or war or peace or feasting or fasting or silence or song it shall be nothing either to you or to me even the striving of your own race shall be forgotten it shall be as it shall be said she is it your will now that the feast should be broken not so he said let it go forward lord she answered i made it for pool penanon yes said gwaul it would be less than courtesy in me to remain here no one would desire to take anything from the dignity of such a prince as he is i will come again whenever it may please you at the end of a year and a day the feast shall be prepared for you and for me said she i will come then said the other and went towards the door lord gwaul said pool going down and accompanying him. High and princely indeed is your courtesy. Better than this is unknown among the enthroned ones of the island of the mighty. And yours also, said Gwaul. It pities me that the fate should be mournful for you. With that he went his way. Then they went forward with the feasting, but there was no desire with any of them either for food or drink, for storytelling or for conversation, for harping off a vocal song. In a little while they went to rest. In the morning the Demesians rode forth, and Pool at the head of them. Rhiannon said to him, Let not sorrow overcome you. If there is any breaking the fate, it will be broken, and no one will be better gifted for breaking it than you. As for the instrument of breaking it, that would be the basket of Gwaithfidnuinog, if there were any obtaining it. I will go forward in search of it, said Poole. Is it known to you where it might be obtained? I cannot tell you, said she. 
whether it is known to me or not known of no avail the basket would be to you unless you yourself found it in the length and breadth of the world and i will give you this warning she said lose no chance of doing service wherever you may find it and if you should see sorrow pass not by until the sorrow be lightened this counsel will i heed although i heeded not the other said he and beyond that i will gain the basket am i bidden to the wedding feast of Gwaul? you are bidden said she nowhere but at that feast might the fate be broken with that pool and the demesians rode forward indeed and indeed said rhiannon in my deed to my own queenhood said she sorrow upon me if i come not into the island of the mighty yet and as for the demesians they went forth wandering through unknown and immortal regions wandering they were for the best part of the year and the day and neither news nor rumour of the basket of gwaithfid nuinog nor of gwaithfid nuinog himself overtaking their hearing during the whole of that time whenever they came upon sorrow they lightened it wherever they found the opportunity of service they did not pass until the service was done they traversed mountains and green valleys full of flowers often the flowers would be gifted with human utterance and discoursed with them but knew nothing concerning the basket they traversed cornlands and fruitlands where the trees bore fruitage of pearls and wild goblin haunted regions where the rocks and bushes would turn as they came into armies of opposing demons many warfares they waged until their raiment was worn and tattered and their swords dinted and old and the glow gone from their breastplates and helmets for the most part but they met none that might obtain success against men from the island of the mighty and at the end they were no fewer in number than they had been at the beginning one hundred men the flower of the hosting of the demesians and puil their lord at the head of them End of part five.